and welcome to Visa Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Maria Roa, and I am delighted to be joined by Caroline Meli. Caroline Meli is a multifaceted professional with over 15 years of experience in the events and entertainment industries. She has worked with renowned organizations such as Cirque du Soleil, where she spent 10 years on your tour running VIP experiences in 17 countries over the world. She has managed all types of experiences from employee de development programs to community wellness events, VIP lounge evenings, and remote team retreats. Caroline has participated as a guest speaker in various events and is a contributing author to an Amazon best-selling book on customer experience. Caroline, Welcome to the show. Let's move on as I have a number of things I want to talk to you about. Let's do it. <laughs> well, first of all, can you share your experience in implementing operational excellence strategies in the events industry? I mean, you have lots of experience on that. What are the key challenges that you have faced and how did you overcome them? It's a big question. I, I think I'll start with the fact that coming out of the tail end of working for these big companies like Cirque du Soleil, being on tour and seeing the same kind of experience rolled out in different countries, in different languages, in different cultural settings, the number one indicator of whether the event was successful or not, and that was me working them or actually participating in them just as a guest, was always around the operations. And I think anyone with anyone with experience in events uh, will be like this, where they'll sit down at a restaurant and they'll be like critical of the things going around them and they see things that maybe others don't see. And so unfortunately my brain works like that all the time. And I'm constantly seeing where the cracks are forming, where the bottlenecks are happening. And it's always on the operational side. So it's typically around flow, right? So how, how guests move through a space. It's typically around leader leadership, you know, terrible people in leadership positions that just don't have that natural, empathetic, inspiring leadership ability. So of course that that has a knock-on effect to the staff in how they perform. Um, and then things like how different issues or guests experience problems are communicated to guests themselves. And that all comes down to training as well. So when I started to see that time and time again, I realized that, okay, I really want to focus on the operational side of experience design, of creating events and entertainment experiences, because that's where I feel the make or break is. And that's where I feel like less attention is placed on. The, the attention is placed on the big event, you know, the, what is going on on a stage or in, an, in any kind of offering. Um, and then the operations just get created around that kind of after the fact and, oh, well, we need to make sure of this and this. Okay, let's just put that together. Instead of very intentional design around how the operations actually run from all of those points that I mentioned, even the scheduling of the people that work for you, you know, those kind of things are so important, but I think they always take a back burner position to the main thing, the main reason why people are actually coming to this experience. So there's lots of challenges in, in, in events and entertainment. Anyone that has worked those industries knows for a fact 
Um, but hopefully with that work around how can we create the better operations that form the, the baseline and the foundation of what you're trying to achieve in the experience itself, hopefully through that work, there, there will be a little bit of a, I guess, like progress in how the operations are actually developed and not just kind of smushed together in the last minute, like, oh, shit, we need to make this happen. So. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned uh, leadership because some people do not know this. They think they're doing everything right. I do not understand why this is not working. And basically they are the problem. They don't know how to handle it. And uh, they're not giving their people their, let's not say the right directions because maybe they know what to do, but they're not doing it the right way. And leadership, it's really important when you're making a big event, when you're organizing something really big. So in the operational plan, leadership, it's like a huge part, right? Yeah, I mean, I've seen incredible leaders in my time and I've seen absolutely shockingly terrible leaders. And there's a huge difference. Like in any field, there's a huge difference. But the reality of the events and entertainment world and actually putting on in-person experiences is typically staff are younger, typically staff are hired for a week, a day, you know, a season. Typically they have other stuff going on. They might be students, they might have two other jobs. And so it's not a, an industry where you will get a, a team that are working full-time for you, dedicated, you know, seven years, they've been there for 10 years. Like that's not the reality of that industry. So you have this challenge on the operation side in leadership. How do I lead these people? How do I help them create the best experience for our guests? And how do I just cre create a great work environment for them when I know they're only here for a week? When yeah, I, know, I need to make them engaged, you know, for what they're doing with me. Very, it's very hard to do very quickly and very last minute. And I saw that at Cirque du Soleil because I was leading teams. It's got to be about 100 teams, I'd say, at this point in all these different countries around the world. And I had them for about two months on average. So that's uh -huh. kind of a long period of time in the events industry, but also it's one of those situations by the time you feel like everyone knows what they're doing and you've got a good, solid core team, you leave and you go to the next place and you start it all again. So that experience for me was really invaluable. Um, and I attribute a lot of my personal leadership skills to that experience because I was trying things in one city. It worked amazing. The next city, it didn't work at all. The staff responded well to something. They didn't respond. So I was constantly like, in this playground of how do I become a better leader for these people, knowing that this could all be completely different in two months. So yeah, that was a really interesting and unique experience. Not a lot of people get that kind of experience around leadership. Yeah, and now that you're talking about Cirque du Soleil, we said at the beginning in your introduction that you've been working with them for 10 years, more than 10 years. How do you approach the operational planning and execution for those type of large scale events were some of the key factors to consider in ensuring smooth operations and a seamless attendee experience. There's just so many variables, like especially, I mean, you're talking about a circus tent, which is outside in, it could be in a stadium car park, in some kind of big bus space that they've concreted for the event or I mean you just you just don't know what's going to happen heat waves that we're all experiencing right now especially in southern Europe like we these kind of factors 
play into how these operations actually roll out. And I think for me, the biggest key, I typically, I did a lot of different positions there when I worked for Cirque du Soleil, but I focused, my speciality was really the VIP experience. So it was a fixed experience. Um, and I found that the simpler I could make the operations, the more intricate they appeared to the guests, if that makes sense. So I had to really simplify how I instructed my team. I had to simplify the processes that I had around scheduling, around um, how drinks are made at the bar, how the food is served, so that any staff member could stand in front of me and could pick it up instantly. You know, they didn't need a whole spiel from me that went for an hour about the company and here's a training manual. We didn't have time for that. And that's the reality of events and experiences. You don't have time for that. So how can I create an operation that is very simple so that typically anyone can do it? And then you have the people that kind of come through and shine. And then you are able to see that straight away and then put them in some key positions where they might interact with the guests a lot more or they might be the first person to interact with the guests or the last. So on the operational side, it's a lot of testing. It's a lot of removing ego because like I mentioned before, you know, I would create something operationally. It works so well. And then I'd get to the next country and it just, nobody wanted to do it and it just bombed. So I had to remove, it was, a, it was a very hard lesson, especially early on when I was younger, but to remove that ego of it's not me, it's not me and like my ability, but it's the reality of the situation that I'm in. Um, so that was another element. And, and then finally, I would say is just really listening to the guests uh, and having conversations with them. We were lucky in the VIP because we could actually spend time with our guests. It wasn't transactional like a lot of the other areas were because they were high volume in and out we could spend time with our guests learn about their experiences what they're excited about how their experience was at the end and the advantage that I had is that typically the guests would not be returning maybe like the super fans the people that really loved it might be coming back one more time throughout the city but typically you would see new people every night so I could kind of play around with the operations a little bit. And in events, you, you do have the luxury, if you call it a luxury of doing that, where you can say, I'm going to try this tonight. And if it completely sucks, I don't even have to talk about it again. And I don't have to do, do it tomorrow night because it's going to be new guests. And of course, you don't want to go and change everything. But small tweaks like that is actually how the experience overall can improve very quickly. Um, as long as you're not making changes that, that involved huge kind of infrastructure changes or having to completely retrain it as team of staff. There's small changes that are incremental over time that you tweak and go with it. So yeah, they'd probably be the main three things I'd say. Yeah. I think uh, you said you don't have the time for that. I think that's like a golden rule when you event plan, whatever thing you do. I always said I need to plan everything ahead, like not 100% of the event, but 150%. So everything that I think it could happen, even if it's not going to happen, because on the day of the event, you don't have time for that. I mean, mm -hmm. whatever it's going to happen, you don't have time for that. So that's, that's exactly when you say that I was thinking about it. Yeah. You don't have time for that. You need to have everything prepared, everything ready, everything thought uh, for beforehand you know uh 
And it still won't go, it still won't go to plan. It's still, it's still something will happen. But the greatest yeah. thing is that because you thought about all these things, about this like 50% extra before, then you will have time for that. Because you just yeah. thought about those extra things that could go wrong and they didn't because you already thought about them. So when one extra thing you didn't think about goes wrong, you do have the time for that. One of the biggest talents and attributes of a very good leader in events in particular is that they can react very quickly in a very positive way. There's no... There's no umming and ahhing and let's discuss this, let's have a meeting about this, which is quite common in our industry, right, because that's how it goes. Um, so I remember somebody that was cross-training with me at, at the time who knew nothing about, she was like from the finance department at the head office, so she didn't really know nothing about like the operations side of things. And I remember she was standing in the VIP tent with me and she asked me like, oh, what makes a good VIP supervisor? And I said, honestly, it's that I can see everything at all times like I'm constantly watching I'm constantly looking and I'm reacting very very quickly to anything that I see that's going well or that's going obviously terrible um, and because I'm so highly aware of everything that's happening in my experience I can change something something can happen very quickly to the point where the other guests won't notice and that's always my goal if I have to make any kind of change uh, operationally my goal is that the guests don't notice it, which yeah. is hard. It's hard, but that that's that's what makes a, a, a good leader in in that industry. Very yeah. reactive, very quick, you know, and, and good leaders have have those skills. They learn those skills over time because you have no other choice, really. Yeah, yeah you can't get blocked. You need to be yes. like super fast and react yeah. always with a smile, you know, never exactly. never get stressed about anything. It's just like, okay. There's going to be a solution. I'm going to find it like right now yeah. in one second. Yeah, I love that. But that's the fun of our job, I think. I mean, that there is always creative ways of uh, finding solutions to things. Uh, or that's what I like, at least. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I think you need to also be a little crazy in order to be an events manager somehow. But that's yeah. just my point of view. <laughs> Uh, okay, events right now uh, can be in-person, online, or hybrid. I know you mainly work on in-person, but uh, the audiences can be uh, local, but they can also be global in nature. I know many of your clients, I mean, many of the audiences that went to Cirque du Soleil, they flew from like all around the globe just to went and see the show. How do you plan an event for a global audience? Well, where different cultures, languages, and regulations apply online and offline? Well, I think the luxury, if you want to call it that, at Cirque was that we were in one country and city at one time. So even though people were potentially coming from afar, we were dealing with the one local city, the one set of regulations, and then we'd move into it again. Uh, my biggest piece of advice there was to have people on the team or at least have people that you can that can consult on what that looks like in different countries, you know. The, the, every regulation is completely different in every single country, all the way down to, you know, specific rules around recycling and what needs to happen in terms of safety exit. There, there, was, there was a city we had to physically put another two doors in the big top, like cut, 
put another two doors in the big top because that particular country and city needed, like we couldn't run a show without it. So sometimes it's very extreme like that. Other time, you know, and then all the way down to staffing, you know, breaks and how many hours they can work and all of that. I don't think it's your responsibility to have all that information, but it's your responsibility to be able to call on people who are experts in that area. So if you're doing a global style of event, the first thing that I would think of is is language, right? So what is going to be your main language? And then how are you adapting that to, to different cultures and, and different people, people with other languages? Again, I was typically working in one place at one time, but, you know, I, I remember one time I was in Russia for three months and my staff didn't speak English really at all. So I had a translator with me the whole time, which is very hard way to lead a team with a translator. Everything is delayed, but that was the reality of that situation. And so when you're looking at who are my guests, uh, where are they coming from, what are their expectations, like try to figure that out first and then see, okay, what do I need to consider if it's language? Let me see if I can get someone in to consult potentially on the language that we're using. Are we using American English when we should be using British classical English or, you know, all, all languages have different dialects. If I'm in France, I'm not going to use Quebecois French, for example. And, and you could, I mean, I could give you a hundred examples like that, but try to figure out those those kind of challenges and then call upon people who actually know what they're talking about and not just trying to guess it. But that would be my approach if I had to create something from scratch. And I give that advice because that's what what I saw at a multi-million dollar company that does that, has been doing that for almost 40 years at this point. So Yeah. Also, I guess because you you were in the VIP um, in uh, you were doing the VIP uh, experiences it probably also affected the way, for example, you took care of the bar service. Like, I mean, like probably the same drinks uh, that they like in Russia. It's not the same drinks that you would serve in France, like just to give you an example. So you probably did need it to know what the public in what the audience in Russia did like, what were their preferences to make sure that your bar was the stock of that for the VIP experiences and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, when it comes to the guests and their behavior, uh, the number one group of people that I relied on for that those insights was actually my staff. And I think a big, uh, a big something that I think is not done well is when leaders don't reach out to their staff and give a voice to their staff when it comes to decisions. It, there's a lot of ego in the way typically when you're working especially when you're working with very temporary teams they kind of come in and you're like I'm going to tell you what to do we need to do this we need to do it quickly but I learned through 10 years of doing that that actually the ones that are going to help me make this experience great for our guests are the local staff because they they're from the place they know the language They know that everyone's probably going to arrive 30 minutes late they know that probably, mm. People are not going to want Prosecco. They, they want champagne and they'll kick off if they don't have that. You know, like these little intricacies, it was my staff that gave me that information because they I, were local. Uh, yeah, because they're, because they're from the place. They're, okay. they're local. They know the people. They know what's probably going to happen. I definitely don't. I can guess because 
of my my experience and my longevity in that industry. But again, it's it's the local people. And again, if you, if you're creating an event in a specific place and you're not from that place, the staff that you hire are going to be your greatest asset in the guest. And I don't think leaders use that strategy enough, anywhere near enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I think you already said a few things, but in your opinion, what are the key elements of effective event management? How do you prioritize and manage various aspects such as logistics, vendor coordination, and risk management? Yeah, I think we covered a lot of points yeah. until now. Uh, what I will add is around communication. And it's probably not a really sexy answer to give in this case, but again, working with different companies that have different styles of working and different styles of managing their people, uh, different ways of delivery service, you know, each company that you work with will have their own different ways to work. And it's not up to you to determine if that's right or wrong. It's up to you to kind of find that middle ground and try to find a great relationship with them because they may be your catering company for this event, but they also may be your catering company for the next 10 events that you do because you built a really great relationship with them. So when I think about like the marrying of all of those different aspects around creating in-person experiences, I think it's a communication and the key here is way ahead of time, you know, not planning something the week before and going, oh shit, like honey, I need you guys to deliver this day. I need you to set up on this day. It's really forming those relationships well in advance. So by the time challenges do arise, and of course they will, that you have built that relationship with them well enough so that you're able to strategize and and problem solve together and not kind of put the onus on them to come up with something and then create a very stressful kind of negative environment. I've seen that a lot. And I think that just comes down to poor planning in terms of how far back you need to to start and, and develop those relationships. But the idea is you want that Rolodex in a way of like all these great companies that you've worked with so you can kind of call on them for any next event you you try to plan yeah and uh now I want to change a little bit and talk about technology uh, I mean do you think the role of technology and data analytics is uh optimizing operations and improving efficiency in event management. I mean, do you think there are like some innovative solutions or tools that you have utilized in your work that that we might let our audience know or technology is not for events? Technology is definitely for events, of course. However, these the teams in particular have to be able to know how to use them. Right. So if you bring in some tech that is for the guests, then you have to make sure that you can support them and coach them and guide them through how to use this specific tech. You know, a very common uh, tech in events now, especially coming out of the pandemic, is that idea of that networking, virtual business cards. There's lots of apps and companies that do that. But If your teams don't have that knowledge and that insight, or at least you can't teach them how to use it in 15, 20 minutes, then the adoption of the guest is going to be a lot slower and less effective. So you can have all the tech you want, but you have to consider 
that potentially you have a team in front of you, you're not going to be able to teach them how to do all these things that will have a knock-on effect to the guests because the guests, there'll be someone going, oh, I don't know how to, how do I work this thing? And your staff has no idea, right? And so if you can, when you implement different tech, it has to be with the mindset of this has to be easy. It has to be able to be adopted very quickly by our guests, meaning by our staff as well. So these kind of questions should go through your mind as you're deciding what different tech elements to bring in. But of course, the I mean, the role of tech in events is really to create a lot of efficiencies, unique experiences. Um, and so it's just about trial and error and practicing and seeing, is this something that will work? Is this something that won't work? You know, even as simple as a scanner, scanning tickets, what happens when yeah. the scanner stops working because you lose Wi-Fi, right? It seems like an old school approach, but that's the reality of events. So have you trained your teams to be able to manually check tickets, which is slower, it's longer, you are less likely to catch things like um, fraud tickets. But when you have 300 people standing in front of you wanting to get in, you have no choice. So it's about testing and trialing and then seeing, is this tech reliable enough and adoptable enough for us to be able to, for the experience to be, become better and not, sticky and clunky as a result so it's just about trial and error when it comes down to tech I think hmm. okay and uh well we almost came to the end but I want to ask you something before we finish I mean this has gone really fast <laughs> because we're both we're both uh events managers and we love to talk about events so but uh, how do you ensure continuous improvement in operations management without the events industry what strategies or methodologies do you recommend for organizations to enhance their operational performance and deliver exceptional events? I, I feel like I probably will sound like a bit of a broken record at this point, but I really think it is about making very small changes to your event strategy, small changes that can be easily reversed if they don't work. Uh, and but small changes that could be added on top of, you know, as time goes on and you perfect your craft of whatever is the event that you're trying to create. So, th so that would be the first thing, small changes that you can see that really change the behavior of your guests in, in, in a positive way, right? Um, the teams is going to be your biggest, I mean, I just feel like if there was a solution for hiring great teams, for in the events industry, you know, the, that that company would be the be all and end all. But it's the reality is it's just so challenging because of the ever changing nature of work and expectations around what what your jobs entail. So trying to find some real, I don't want to say trends, but some commonalities around how your teams are motivated, how they like to learn. Uh, you know, for example, I remember I did my kind of welcome, my training manual the same way for so long. And then I realized it pretty much sucked. I, I wasn't excited to look at it. So why would anybody else be excited? And so one city, one, one of our city runs, I sat down with my team and we went through it page by page. And I said, I want you to be, you know, brutally honest and tell me if this page was useful for you before you arrived here at this job, Right. So they would say, oh, yeah, that, I loved that page. That was great. Oh, this page, 
I had no context. I didn't know what half those words meant because they were kind of surf jargon. Okay, cool. Uh, that one, yeah, what was missing? Okay, I really wanted to, you know, one page that we started to include was a day in the life of a, of a local staff. They wanted to kind of get that grasp that what are they going to be doing? And after doing that, I would do that a couple of times a year. And it made that piece that we gave to them really relevant and really engaging. And they were able, and they were excited to receive it. In the end, we were doing it in Canva so they could open it on their phones and have a really beautiful presentation instead of printing stuff out. So this idea of going to the people that are going to be working with you and trying to get as much insight into how they best learn and what they're excited about. I think that's, again, super underrated when it comes to the operational side of events. But so really involving them in the process because you will get better and better and better as a leader, even if you're the people can change all the time or the type of people that you get change all the time. I think that's very, very important in operations. Um, and then I guess the last point will be to simplify the operations as much as possible. Like I alluded to at the beginning, the simpler the operation, the better the experience for your team, for your guests. And for you, as a result of all of those things, I think we overcomplicate operations a lot. And sometimes when I speak about operational excellence, I think people get the impression, oh, like we have to be like at this different level and it has to be very intricate. But to me, op operational excellence is really about the simpler, the better and having it so simple that anyone could come and add value and contribute to the guest experience by what you're giving them in the way of, this is how this event is going to run. Yeah, so that's great. I think, as you say, basically review your processes over and over until they are, uh, until you're happy with them and until the people who are going to use those processes are like uh, completely satisfied and uh, they think they're, they're exactly what they need and simplify as much as you can those processes. I think yeah, I mean, to, really to give you an example, um, I... You know, I was just recently in Italy with Cirque du Soleil and there was a huge language barrier. Um, I can't speak Italian, but I do understand it because I can speak French and Spanish. So I, I could get what they were saying, but a lot of times they didn't understand the instructions that I gave them. And so in a moment where I needed to give some feedback or tell them five things, I could tell them one thing and they would get it. So when I'm thinking of my operations, what is the one thing I need that person to know right now? Because I'm running around, right? Like I, I'm not sitting down with a coffee with this person. Like I'm running around like crazy. So I had to pick and choose what is the information that I need them to know right now that I can potentially maybe say in a mix of this English, Italian kind of weird language that I'd come up with. But then I started to think about, and I think this is a big mistake that, that, people creating operations actually make is they create the operations for the experience and they don't consider the people who are actually running these operations. So I took to say I knew the operations to a T, to every minute second of the entire day, just because I'd done it for so long. But I was not creating the operations for the experience itself. I was creating it for myself. So in that case in Italy, 
I couldn't go into a lot of detail about many things because I wasn't able to communicate with them. And there's nothing wrong with that because ultimately they're there for the guests. They're not there for me. They're there for the guests. The guests speak Italian. They speak Italian. They have a great time and it's great. Is the service a little bit different in my view? Yes, but it doesn't mean it's bad or it doesn't mean it's any less engaging for the guests. So on that operational side, creating the overall operation for the experience, like this needs to happen here, this needs to happen here, like this time, this time. But then think, okay, who are the people standing in front of me that I'm actually going to get to do this? If they don't have the language, in my case, was the biggest barrier a lot of the time, or in your case, maybe the experience, right? You may have some, you know, you may have a group of people that have just come out of university and they don't really have the event experience yet. So you have to think, I need to give them instruction. So how am I going to do that in the best way possible? And a lot of times it means removing a lot of things that are important to you, but you can get away with without actually including them. I, I think this very key that, that people don't really consider, how do you create operations for the people actually doing the tasks, not the overall experience itself? It's an interesting question. And I think every event manager should ask themselves that question once in a while. Yeah, we should. <laughs> well, we came to the end. Is there anything else you would like to share with our audience today? Well, I am in the process of writing a book on shocker operational excellence, and it's specifically for events and entertainment experiences, specifically for in-person experiences. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm about halfway done right now. So it's still a couple months away. But if anyone is interested in following along that process, learning what I learned along the way, and then, of course, hopefully when I finally have it in my hand, getting a copy, then the best way to follow that is on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn, you'll find everything, where to sign up for my email list if you want, where to check out my website, all of that. But LinkedIn is where I hang out the most. And you can, uh, you can find out all the information there. Okay, can you tell us also your website just in case someone is interested in signing up for your newsletter? Yeah, it's just my full name. So have a look at the spelling in the in the notes in this interview. My yep. full name.com, carolinemailey.com. Super simple. Perfect. Well, so thank you very much, Caroline. Uh, so that's the end of today's show with Caroline Melly. Please make sure to tune in again to see and or to listen to the next Busy Talk show where we will be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Maria.